Today's a good day for what Renee just shared with us, because we're going to talk about chaos. Does anybody experience that in here? If you do, would you raise your hand? Say amen. Thank you. Thank you. I tell, uh, I tell my friends, every now and then somebody says Journey's a cult. If you're a first time here, welcome. Um, I tell my friends, if no one accuses you of being a cult, you're doing something wrong, right? Because uh, now, we, if you're a guest, we teach God's Word, in, uh, what is orthodox and has been taught for thousands of years. However, uh, there's an aspect of community within the church that should be different than outside the church. And many times people outside the church don't understand what that is. So we're thankful for our community, for those who are part of it, and that we can be there for each other, all right? The kid will leave. They're so, in, I was going to say, are they so enamored wanting to stay in here with me? I know the answer to that um, is no. Okay. I have four parts for you today. I have four pages. It's about two hours worth, okay? Are you all ready? Did you all eat before you came? Nope, and I won't be here for the end of it. So if the important part's at the end, better get it out now, right? That's the way it goes. Okay. Um, I want to also just let you know, I want to issue an invitation. Uh, This Saturday, I just found out that it was this Saturday, this past Thursday, but this Saturday I'm going to be uh, preaching at Orchard Park Church, which is in Orchard Knob. Um, It's an African-American church. It is Black History Month, and they are inviting me to come preach during Black History Month. So um, I'm super excited and super nervous, Uh, but that's going to be Saturday at 11. It's Seventh-day Adventist. They worship on Saturday, so it's going to be Saturday at 11. Uh, I would love for you to come if you'd like to come um, and just represent Journey and let them know that we uh, we love them and we are one body. Um, who meet in two different places. So love for you to be a part of that. Then uh, that afternoon, they worship all day. They've got an all-day experience. So um, the worship won't be all day. I think it's from 11 to, or 11.15 to 1, I think. And then we're going to come back um, that afternoon and have a panel on race, similar to what we did here uh, with our friends from Kingdom Partners, which they will be coming back for a part two. Um, but we're going to be doing that kind of in reverse there. So I'd love for you to come and participate if you'd like. Come and just see. I'm super nervous. It would be encouraging to see your face out there. Um, it's, so that's Orchard Park Church um, in Orchard Knob. So I'm very excited about that. All right. We've got four parts today. Where have we been so far? The intro. Where have we been so far? So far we have been to the place where God has created and it was good. It was good. We spent a little bit of time talking about how good it was in the goodness of his creation, God created us in his image, and it was good. You were created in God's image, it was good. And what we followed through, uh, looking through different parts of scripture, is that not only that, but that your goodness and the image bearer that you are continued even after the fall. We looked at several places in scripture where we are still said to be reflecting his image even after the fall. So you still are to, at some point, reflecting his image. We looked at the reality that in that place, there was community, there was joy, there was hope, there was purpose, there was love. It was uh, a time for us to walk with each other and walk with God. It was beautiful. It was perfect. It was good. 
God also put a tree in the middle of that garden, and he intended for us to have to exercise restraint in life. We were going to have to restrain ourselves to some degree in order to fully live the life that we were created to live, and yet we somehow don't have the ability to fully do that. I know that's the case with me. I'm sure it's the case with you. It's been the case with every person who's walked this earth except for Jesus um, since then. But there was a need for restraint, and we didn't. We also looked at the fact that there was a serpent in the garden that whispered into Eve's ear, and she whispered two things. Number one, did God really say that you shouldn't do that thing? And the second thing that he whispered was, if you do this thing, then you will be like God. So those are still the temptations that we hear. There are still trees planted in the gardens of our lives. There are still serpents whispering in our ear. You do not need to trust God. You don't have to believe God. God is ultimately trying to keep you from your best life. So you need to be very cautious of God. We followed that falling in sin, and we followed it last week into the story of Cain and Abel. And the interesting story of Cain and Abel, where Cain kills Abel, it's our first instance of murder. And we also see that Cain is struggling, and we talked through different possibilities of why that was. But he was, his offering was rejected, and he ultimately felt rejected, and yet Abel was accepted. And so he took out that anger on him. We looked at a couple of possible interpretations of the Cain-Abel story as far as what happened to Cain. And that's kind of what we're picking up today. And then I want you to know, I'm so glad you're here. You got to play in the snow yesterday and you've had a good weekend and you're excited because we're going to talk about lots of sin and then exciting to be at journey today. All right. But as we look at Cain, some of the things we're not going, as we finished up last week and we're not going to go back into this week is through the lineage of Cain is actually some very interesting developments for humanity because attributed to Cain's lineage is the birth of herdsmen, is the birth of musicians and those who are creative and those who work with metal and kind of begin to develop um, technology <clears throat> and ultimately are attributed to building large cities and kind of the birth of society comes through the lineage of Cain. It's why some theologians uh, say that the bigness of our society is a result of Cain and is one of the reasons that uh, humanity has been constantly in decline is as we continue to build a testament to ourselves and we become self-reliant, then we continually uh, become more broken in the heart um, and eyes of God. So we looked at all of that last week. Today, we're, so now we've been in, I just gave you a quick intro. <clears throat> now we're going to move into brokenness because this is where the world is. Now, as, as Renee has shared with us, and as any one of us could stand up here and share with, with all of us, there's not a person in this room that cannot relate to some degree with brokenness. Everyone in here can. You have either experienced it personally, or you've seen it in someone else, you've been affected by someone else's brokenness, and if you don't fall into one of those categories, you're not very reflective, because you, in this moment are broken and are in need of Christ. Now, there's a number of ways in which Christ fulfills that. There is that of salvation, which we're going to talk about in a few minutes, but there is also this, that daily walking with Christ as we continue to struggle with brokenness in this broken world in which we are growing and he is working to bring healing within us. But before we can move to that, what we have to see is happening with creation. Remember, Genesis 1 through 11 is a little different than the rest of Genesis. Most all of the Pentateuch, first five books of the Old Testament, 
are attributed to Moses. We know Moses can't have written all five books of the New Testament because Moses, uh, part of uh, the Pentateuch includes uh, parts about his death and things that happened after his death. And if he wrote about that, then he's pretty talented. So we know he didn't write it all, but we don't know who wrote all the other parts. And we're not even sure they were all written at the same time. It's possible Joshua wrote some. We attribute to Joshua that he probably wrote about Moses' death and the events that happened after Moses' life. But we don't really know. Genesis 1 through 11 is a little different. But we've seen a pattern through Genesis 1 through 11. We're going to see it today. We're going to see it throughout the series. And if you look, you will see it throughout all of the Old and the New Testament. And that is the pattern of God is a creative God. He is always creating, building, growing. There's always a point at which God begins to uncreate. And when we see that uncreation, it is usually because the creation has moved outside of the expectation for which God created. Something goes wrong. And when something goes wrong, God begins to uncreate. Now, for us, that feels like punishment. That feels bad. It feels like God is, has it out for us, and God wants to ruin us, and he's just mad. And there are, quite honestly, a lot of churches that this morning are teaching that lesson to people. God is mad at you. God hates you. God is angry with you. And if you don't, if you don't clean yourself up real quick, then you're headed for hell. And the problem is, is I know me, I did a terrible job cleaning myself up. All right. Anybody else have that same situation in their life? I did a terrible job trying to clean my life up, but Jesus has done a beautiful job so far. He just has a lot more work to do. But when we put it on the individual, this is all your responsibility. This is when we push people away from Christ. This is what the law was intended to do. But what we see and what we have seen so far and will continue to see is in this uncreation is not God angry with you. Is not God being mad at you, although he gets pretty mad here. And this is what we're going to read here together. God is uncreating for a purpose because at the end of every period of uncreation, God begins to create again. And that is what he moves us through. He's creating. There's uncreation. We move into chaos and then he creates and he rebuilds. Now, we've seen that throughout the old. We'll see that throughout the new. We are in the middle right now of a time of God's movement of recreation that will not be fulfilled until Jesus returns. And there's a new heaven and a new earth. That is the ultimate act. That's the last act of recreation that we know is going to happen. After that, we're going to assume all who know Christ are going to be in heaven with him. Or maybe we'll be on the new earth. There's lots of theories about what that is, but we know that God is still promising there is further recreation that is coming. So let's dive into chaos and brokenness together, and we're going to feel good about it, right? All right. If you're wondering, hey, Mark forgot communion. A couple of things. Uh, I, I was, so I, we had an elders meeting, so I didn't have it ready, but we are going to have communion together in just a minute. That's going to be our third part of the sermon. Genesis chapter 5, verse 1. <clears throat> says this, this is the book of the generations of Adam. When God created man, he made him in the likeness of God, male and female. He created them and he blessed them and he named them man while they were created. What does the word Adam mean? Humanity. Thank you very much. Male and female. He created them. He blessed them and named them man. And they were created. When Adam had lived 130 years, he fathered a son. How many of you in here want to father a son when you're 130 years old? Raise your hands. No, it's just Mike. It's not me. It's not me. It's just Mike. You're just hoping you're going to be around 130 years, right? Listen, I tell my wife all the time, 
If I hit 80 and I'm still around, I've done something wrong. All right? It's time to go <laughs> skydiving without a parachute. It's time to engage in some riskier behavior than I have so far in my life. If I hit 80 and I'm still around, something's gone wrong. However, 130, having a kid is not something I'm interested in doing. Listen, uh, we, we um, added to our family when I was 46, and I thought that was crazy up until that time. Now it seems pretty normal. But before that, I thought, who in the world would want to have a kid at 46? Some of you in the room would say me. Uh, and so, yeah, I get it. 130. Adam's 130. And he fathered a son in his own likeness after his image and named him Seth. Now, Seth, let's keep in mind the lineage of what we've seen so far. Adam and Eve have had Cain and Abel. Cain has killed Abel. Cain has now run. Now, what has happened to Cain after that? There's a lot of debate on what happened to Cain. Did Cain just live out his life and kind of get away with it? Or did Cain get killed by Lamech? You know, so we talked about the legend of Lamech last week. We don't really know. That's just a legend. It's not bared out consistently through Scripture. So we don't take that as absolutely that's what happened. But there are some, some places that seem to indicate that the wages for sin has always been death or the wage for murder in the Old Testament and that Cain himself was murdered, um, and there's just somewhat of a misreading there. But we're not going to spend a lot of time in that. That's all conjecture. We don't know. Um, it's, all, it's one of the questions that we want to ask. Now, it says, The days of Adam, after he fathered Seth, Seth came after Abel, were 800 years. Now, if I'm going to live 800 years, maybe I can have a kid at 130. I really can't imagine what this is like. I, I can't imagine what it'd be like to live. I don't want to live 80 years. Um, I sure don't want to live 800 years and keep having kids. Let's get that done early. Now, one of the things that, um, that we look at this, this is one of the reasons that some scholars believe that this is more allegory than this is history. I don't have a problem with either one. I don't have a problem if this is exactly how it happened. I don't have a problem if it's allegory. If God's just trying to show us how he works and how he lives, I believe his word is inspired. I believe his word matters. I believe that God is the creator. I believe that is an important belief, that God is the creator. If God is not the creator, God does not have the sovereignty over us that he does if he is the creator. This is why people push back on the idea that this could be allegory. Well, then you're denying creation. I do think it is crucially bad for us to deny God is the creator. It kind of unravels our faith, which is why people will push against and say, no, it has to be six 24-hour periods. My faith tells me God is real. I experience him in many ways, not just when I read scripture. And so I don't doubt that he is creator or he is God. There's my disclaimer. But as we read this, it is really hard to understand time at this point of creation. Now, if you're a history buff, what you will have noticed through a study of history is that time is moving faster now than it ever has before. Now, that is not a physics issue. But when we look at the development of culture and society, we are changing at a faster pace than we ever have ever in the history of mankind. In fact, if you are a student of the Old Testament, you will find that you can go for hundreds and thousands of years and there be very little difference in culture and society. They beget them, they beget them, they beget them, they beget them, and on and on and on. And all these uh, people, all these generations are being born. And yet, for the most part, things are still pretty similar. That is not the case today. Today, culture changes, it feels like, sometimes on a daily basis. It's really hard to keep up with culture at times. 
Technology is one of the things that continues to drive a change in the culture and the way that we operate and understand the world. But at this point, at this time, when they're living these hundreds of years, some theologians will say, well, that's because the flood hasn't happened, and that's because the environment in which the, that God created the original earth before the flood was different than it is now. And either, and this, these are where people start just making up stuff, but they are interesting. Either all the water is up in the atmosphere, and it is blocking us from all of the harmful rays of the sun, and that is what has allowed them to live longer lives, and it's actually the sun that's caused our lifespans to shorten. Well, maybe. These are one of those places where I say, oh, that's interesting, but I don't care. I really don't care. I don't know why it was They're living these longer years. It makes sense to me. We've seen even in more modern history, depending on the environment, lifespans will be longer or shorter. Right now, they're getting a little longer. The the calendar, as far as we know, for the last several thousand years has been essentially the same. And maybe someone else can answer this better than I can. I don't believe there's been any change in like, the rotation of the sun or the seasons in that period of time. Maybe a science expert in here could help with that better than I can. But the calendar, for the most part, may have been somewhat different, but for the most part, the seasons have continued to change at the same rate, as far as we know. Interestingly, I think Ron, I, think Ron, I saw Ron walk in here. He's in here somewhere. Posted an article. Is he in here? There he is. Uh, that I, thought, I found super interesting. About, I know you sent it to me about that, I think it was in the lowest elevations of the world, um, scientists have determined that time actually moves slower. Like, you know, a fraction of a second slower, but still slower is slower, right? So you might want to move there if you want to lengthen your life. But, uh, you know, a lot of that. Now, AJ back here would say time's a construct and is not real. There you go. Shout out to you. I don't, I don't know that you're right about that, but listen, go for it, brother. And, uh, you know, so we all have different understandings and ideas about time, right? I think as we read through this in the Old Testament, we read this and we go, wow, that's interesting. What would have been, have been like had we lived for hundreds of years? What if you had a hundred-year-old toddler? I know, I just took a bad turn. I'm sorry. But what if, you know? So we don't know. Typically in those generations, you were not really functioning. It doesn't appear as a full adult until you are in your 60s, 70s, or 80s. Like you're still, you know, running around, you know, not sure what you're doing at 20 years old. Whereas today you may be, you know, running a business, having a family. You may be off to war somewhere, you know, uh, very different. All I do to bring all that up is to say, when we read this stuff, it's very interesting. There are lots of interpretations. Those really aren't the focus for our day, and we really shouldn't get caught up on those. There are many things I will stand before God and say, what was up with that? And I'm looking forward to the answers. I'm not going to try to come to a conclusion now, because God, if God wanted me to know the full answer, he would have given me that information. So I'm just sharing that with you now. And uh, that's my belief on kind of things that are happened there. I wanted to read these first five chapters, our first five verses, because this is important for us to see that Seth has entered the picture. And I want you to understand as we go into this next passage of Scripture, we're going to skip the next few genealogies. I want you to begin to see that through Seth, God is beginning to do something different. 
What we have seen and what we're going to see is a continual plunge into chaos. Cain and Abel kind of uh, introduce that taking on to a whole new level, and it just gets worse from there. But I want you to remember Seth. And you remember we talked last week that one part of that rhythm of creation to uncreation to recreation, Seth is somewhat that for Adam and Eve. They've been through this process in many different ways. They've lost uh, two sons now, and, and there's new birth. So God is regularly, if you're in a place within your life that you feel that your life is falling apart, understand that is never the final act for God. There is always a moment of recreation coming, all right? Uh, we use, talk about it in different ways, but there always is. Let's jump down to verse 25 because we've got a lot to do today. When Methuselah had lived 187 years, he fathered Lamech. Methuselah lived after he fathered Lamech 782 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Methuselah were 969 years, and he died. As far as we know, that's the oldest person ever referenced in Scripture, 969 years. That's about 880 years too long for me. When Lamech had lived 182 years, he fathered a son, 29, called his name Noah, saying... Out of the ground that the Lord has cursed, this one shall bring us relief from our work and from the, the painful toil of our hands, which are in a roundabout way is a Hebrew translation of the word Noah. Naming in the Old Testament was very crucial. It not only was an identifier, it was a description. So sometimes your name would change in the Old Testament because your previous name was not an accurate description of your current situation. And sometimes you would get your name later as they would figure out what is your description. If you want to go back and look at the translation of Noah, roughly roundabout way, this, what he's saying about Noah, out of the ground that the Lord has cursed, the one shall bring us relief. That is what Noah means. Lamech lived after he fathered Noah 595 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Lamech were 777 years and he died. After Noah was 500 years old, Noah fathered Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Not a young man, but although he may have looked exactly like me, who's also not a young man, not quite old yet, but Noah enters the picture. This is a crucial understanding that Noah enters the picture. Then we hit Genesis chapter 6, and this is where things go bad, all right? I hope you've read chapter 6, verse 1, when, the man, when man began to multiply on the face of the land and daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw that the daughters of man were attractive, and they took as their wives any they chose. Then the Lord said... My spirit shall not abide in man forever, for he is flesh, his days shall be 120 years. The Nephilim were on the earth in those days, and also afterward, when the sons of God came into the daughters of man, and they bore children to them. These were the mighty men who were of old, the men of renown. Now, we're not going to spend a lot of time here, but this is pretty interesting. If you ask me, like, what in the world is going on here? Does anybody else ever wonder that when you read this? Who are these people? And I will tell you now, if you want me to definitively tell you who they are, I cannot. So, I'm sorry. You got out of bed for the wrong reason. 
today. I will tell you, with this whole question about sons of God, the Nephilim, there are essentially five views of who they can be, and there is mass disagreement on any one of these views, okay? View number one is this. I will give you these five views. The sons of God were fallen men. They messed up. They're kind of criminals. They're the bad guys, and they go and do bad things, and they have bad kids, kids so bad that they gave them a special name called Nephilim, which can also be translated as giants. Now, if we were to line everyone in this room up in the room, there are some of you who might look at others and go, they are a giant. So giant, that's a a bit subjective. We don't really know what that means. But view number one is these are just kind of fallen people, like really bad people, sons of God. Number two, the view, the sons of God were mighty rulers of the time. Like these are the really important people that conquered. (laughs) They came in, they took over, they oversaw lots of people. You know, we may sometimes look over the landscape of business and we may say Bill Gates or Jeff Bezos or somebody like that is like a a son of God. I mean, they are just, I mean, magnificent, different people. They've done so many big things. They have so much money. Everybody knows who they are. Uh, It's possible that these were rulers. It's possible. It's not the answer you want. It's possible. I don't know what the answer is. Part number three, or view number three, is where things get interesting when we have fallen angels come into the conversation. So view number three is this, that fallen angels had relations with the daughters of men who were just women, and their children were the Nephilim, part human, part supernatural being. If you're like me, I want to know what happened to those people. If this is the view, which I, be honest, would rather watch a movie about view number three than view number one or two, what happened to these people? We don't know. We don't really see anything else about them, which for, for views three and four caused me to question whether these are reliable views. Number four, similar, demons or fallen angels possessed men. I had relations with the daughters of men. This is where we get the Dracula stories of all the crazy things he did. And their children were the Nephilim. Again, well, who were these people? I mean, what happened to them? Now, view number five is a very interesting view. I want you to understand, as coming out of Adam and Eve, talking about lineage. Lineage is super important in the Old Testament. And the most important lineage that we follow is, of course, the lineage of Jesus. Lineage is important. The priestly line is going to come out of a lineage. It's going to follow a lineage. The rulers of Israel are going to follow a lineage. Jesus is going to follow a lineage. And one of the things we talked about at Christmas was the reality that that lineage mattered, and the people in Jesus' lineage mattered. But the fifth view is this, that there was a righteous line that came out of Adam and Eve after Cain and Abel. Abel's gone. Cain's at least an outcast. At worst, he's dead. And the sons of God are the righteous line of Seth. And the Nephilim being giants, it's not necessarily physical while it could be, but it's just as much spiritual and important for the lineage of God's movement 
to continue to move through humanity. And through that lineage would eventually come Noah. I don't really have an investment in any of these views. I think most likely the fifth makes most sense. I think the others are really exciting. But I don't think they make a lot of sense because we don't see that as a consistent work of God anywhere else. But there are other interesting places of supernatural things happening, interaction between God and other spiritual beings and the world. There, there are other places. So if that is the case, that could have been the ways that God allowed there to be this intermingling of creation with the heavenly realm that over time began to shut down. Very interesting. Or some would even say still happens today. It's very interesting. You can go and study. I would encourage you to study. We're not going to spend any more time on that here together. But you can go and study. What is important is through the line of Seth comes Noah. All right. Now let's... The sled's been going downhill. We just tipped to a steeper hill and we're about to shoot straight down. Chapter 6, verse 5. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth. It must have been really bad back then. So no matter how bad you think it is now, it must have been worse. I don't think there's many people who follow world events who wouldn't say, I'm not so sure we're that much different today. There is a great difference in Christ. We'll talk about that in a minute. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. I think it's important for a couple of things. Number one, he says the thoughts are evil. Number two, the thoughts of their heart. Doesn't say their actions. Says the thoughts of their heart. Our thoughts matter. The stuff on the inside that we guard from everyone else matters. The thoughts that we have behind closed doors when no one's watching and we think no one will see They matter. And God's assessment of what's happening in humanity on the earth at this point is that all of those thoughts are on evil continually. God's not happy. This is not what God wants for humanity. This was not his intention in the garden. Now, I realize I'm starting to move into some systematic issues that are going to begin to bring in other ropes and other sides of theology in the sense of, well, did God not get what he want? Was he confused? Was he mistaken? Did he not do a good job creating? There's a branch of theology that says God intended for us to fall. He intended for us to need Jesus. Jesus was always the plan. And recognize we're moving into some now murky theological issues, but I want us to stay with the text because... We need to look at what it says, and I am going to ask you to do a little uh, daydreaming about that in just a minute together. And the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth. I think that is strong. 
God regretted. Now, let me just ask you this. Um, where does Noah fit in so far? Where does Noah fit in this? And eh, we'll come to it. The Lord regretted that he had made men on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens. For I am sorry that I have made them. That stings, right? In fact, let's just stop there for a minute. Let's not go on because it's too easy to go on. We know the rest of the story. It's like that thing that you did in high school and your friend from high school shows up and begins to tell that story and you're like, yeah, but then, then I got my life together, right? You know how that goes? Let's just, let's jump ahead. It's easy for us to jump ahead when we read scripture and not stop and think, what is happening here? What is happening here? God has created. Everything is good. He required us to exercise restraint for things to remain good. We did not exercise restraint. To this day, we still do not exercise restraint. You can be whatever opinion you want to be. Well, God made a mistake. Or you can be of the opinion God intended for us to make a mistake. I think both of those are valid arguments. What we want to look at here is not the intention of God's heart because we can't fully know that. God's ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. We cannot truly understand God's motivation because God hasn't fully told us. He just gives us glimpses. And we're going to be able to see very clearly in just a moment, but at this place and at this time when everything is bad, everybody's thinking about bad stuff, God's saying, I shouldn't have done this, and I'm going to blot this out. Ken? Yeah. So someone I like to someone that I like to read cautiously is Rob Bell. I think Rob Bell's got a lot of stuff wrong. He's got a lot of stuff right. And one of the things one of his works that I appreciate the most is a tour that he did uh saying that everything is spiritual. And I think that for us this is a good message and is a good lesson that when you, those chairs you're sitting in are spiritual. This building, not, it's not spiritual because it's a church. It's spiritual because none of it existed until God created it out of himself. Everything is spiritual. When you go to work and you clock in and you think, nobody appreciates what I'm doing. My job doesn't matter. If I didn't show up, nobody would care. There's nothing spiritual about this. I just have to do this, get a paycheck, and I hate it. But yet, when you clock into that job, that is spiritual. When you go to the grocery store and you load up your cart, that is spiritual. Everything is, I believe, Rob Bell got this right, everything is spiritual. Scripture says that even the earth cries out for a Savior. So in other words, sin has affected all of creation, not just humanity. 
And I don't think, and I think it, we, we, we again move into conjecture if we begin to try to define exactly what that looks like. All we know is scripture is affected by the fall. It affects all of creation, even to the point that Jesus is coming back and saying, okay, I'm doing away with all of this. I'm doing away with all the heavens. I'm doing away with all the earth. I'm doing away with all of it. And I am doing it again. I'm starting over. That's what he says is going to happen when Jesus comes back. There will be a new heaven and a new earth. I mean, this is an excellent question. And I don't know that this is an excellent answer. But everything is spiritual. And those animals were affected by sin. Scripture bears out that all of creation was still affected by sin, even if they themselves did not commit that sin. They're still affected by it, which is, can be very confusing, I recognize. That's what I would say to that. Why? I'm just going gonna, gonna to wipe it all. It's all affected. That would be my answer. All affected. Maybe they didn't cause it, but they're still affected by it. But we would be in a bad spot if, we, if I said, okay, let's pray and go home. We would be a bad spot if we stopped here, <laughs> right? Instead, we need to look at this and recognize, okay, creation's gone off the rails. And God looks down at us and says, this is not what I want. That's important. It's important for you if you are in a place of chaos within your life of recognizing this is not what God wants. It's important to recognize if your life feels like it's falling apart, whether it be from your own decisions or other decisions you had no control over that affected you, that is not what God wants for you. Now, God may use it. God may want to use it for you for his purposes, but that is not what God wants for you to live within that chaos. God wants you to come out of that. And some of the harder things of teachings of Jesus are things when he says like, you know, I want you to be in the world, but not of the world. And you know that Peter was over here rolling his eyes. What does that mean? Um, what, what? And I feel pretty confident Peter did roll his eyes, you know, at Jesus. He probably got in trouble for it too, but Jesus did all kinds of stuff like that. Because this is a challenge, isn't it? You're not going to navigate these waters on your own. And I think it's important for us within the church to recognize when we try to impose our faith on people that do not believe what we do, we need to recognize they're trying to navigate these waters on their own. And we know it doesn't work. But they don't know it yet. And even if we say, well, you just need to navigate the way I do, until they know Jesus the way we know Jesus, that won't work either. This is why the way that we talk about our faith is important to people. When we impose our faith on people, you must live and act by my priorities based on my faith. And they do not have that same faith. Then they do not see anything in us other than tyranny. I want to be in control of your life. I want to tell you what to do. This is what I've decided I like. This is what I want to do. This is what I share with you last week or the week before. This is the challenge of pastoring in this day and age when the church has done so much of that. I need to tell you, you need to read your Bible like all the time. You need to be reading it. But if you read it because I tell you to read it, it's going to have very limited, if, if any, value to you. But I have to tell you that because that's what Scripture says. This is life. It's like generosity. 
This is one of the hard things that I navigate and other pastors navigate because there's a lot of people who just want you to give money for them to be able to have a big building and a, and a big car and a big plane and all those things. And so now everybody expects that the church will never talk about money. And yet money is so crucial to our ability to follow Jesus. And it's not because we need the money. It's because the way we handle money is often the way our heart works. So we have to talk about generosity, but if you give because I'm looking over your shoulder, are you given? Then it will have limited, if any, value within your life spiritually. That's why Scripture says God loves a cheerful giver, not a shamed one. So this is one of the problems that we we struggle with today. And and even in sharing our faith, and I'm... I don't have time to go into this, but even when we share it on big political issues that are important to Christians, and we want to impose it on people who are not Christians. Listen, I think that we should make a stand for the things that are important for God. Hear me say that. But we cannot impose our beliefs on people that do not share those beliefs. And when we do, we do not push them to Christ. We push them away from Christ. And so we have to be very careful how we do this. Does that mean we don't say this is what's important to God? Absolutely we do. But this is why I question, can a, follow, a true follower of Jesus truly be in the United States government right now? I'm not sure they can, to be honest. It's important that when we look at this and we come to this text and we understand what God is trying to say here, God is, we are in the precipice of a movement of recreation. But right now in their eyes and in what they see, all they see is chaos and uncreation. It's all they see. And as we move into this, what we are looking for is not that we pretend to be better than we are. What we're looking for is God recreating us verse 9 or verse 8 but that's a big but and don't laugh it is grammatically grammatically but Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord praise the Lord this verse is in here, right? But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. You should look in the mirror sometime, and you should quote this verse and take Noah's name out and put your name in. But Mark found favor in the eyes of the Lord. You should do that. Because the fact that we know Jesus and the fact that we're redeemed and the fact that we're on a different track, that is because of God's favor. That's because God said, you know, I, I should wipe you all out. And he didn't. Instead, he said, but Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. That sounds a lot like the gospel, doesn't it? 
That's why some people would say this is a foreshadowing of Jesus. Noah is a foreshadowing of Jesus. He is a foreshadowing of a rescuer. While Noah is for humanity at this point, it is a foreshadowing of Jesus who would be the full rescuer later. But this rescue didn't come because Noah was good. Although it does say Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. And what I think is more important, Noah walked with God. You know, I don't know what denomination you come from. I don't know what your theological doctrinal leanings for everybody in this room is. I, I don't know how, what your stance is on music and prayer and uh, spiritual gifts and all those things. Can I just tell you, though, that what we need today are people who walk with God. That's what we need today. I question whether a, a Christian can truly be in government today because I, I find what my limited view of it is that it is structured in such a way that you can't walk with God and play that game because that's what it is. Now, I would love for people to prove me wrong, and I do believe there are believers in government. Don't leave and say, well, Mark says nobody's a Christian in the government. I didn't say that. I just think it would be very hard to do that. I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it. Yeah. That's yes. 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 It is it is it is for a different kingdom than the one we are supposed to be about. However, I do someone would say and I would not disagree with them that if we have a chance through government to bring about the things of God, then we should. However, Again, I go back to asking people to live by our values that are not agreeing that God is God, that created the universe, the Savior of the world, who gave His Son, who died on the cross, that we must repent to be saved. Um, if they don't believe that, then that brings in some other ethical issues that we have to struggle with in our own theologies and our own doctrine. And we have to look to Jesus. How did Jesus handle those things? And Jesus typically didn't which is a real problem for, for some of us to struggle through. Jesus didn't. Um, he turned over the money changers' tables, but that was the temple. <laughs> that was the temple. You know, um, anyways, okay, I don't want to get bogged down here. I already said way too much about that than I wanted to. So here's what we see, because we got to get moving. We're going to take communion here together. As sin increased, brokenness increased. This is our definition of brokenness. Brokenness is being broken in God's view and no longer what he intended when he created us. This is, this is my definition of brokenness. We are broken in God's view. There are some things that I'm 100% okay with and God says, oh, that is so messed up. That is so messed up. Oh, no, God, it's good. I mean, it really is good. No, no, it's not. It's really not. You know, I don't know if you have those conversations with God. The Holy Spirit tells me things like that. Like, Mark, you know, when are you going to catch on? I don't know if you all ever hear that from him, but he does say it to me. When are you going to get this? That's like not good. And I appreciate that. But he also, just so, so you know, I also hear him say, Mark, good job. Which I think is still a crazy thing that so many believers never hear God say, good job. Because God loves you and God wants to encourage you and God wants to point out. Now, it may be, good job, you woke up today, right? It may not be great. It may not have been a big thing that day. But other days you should hear him say, you know what, good job. You're getting this stuff.
Good job. The question I was going to have you answer, but I've already used it up for other things, was should God have blotted out all humanity? And that was going to be fun. But I want to get to communion. My, the follow-up with that was, what are the implications if he did? What if God had? Should he have gone ahead and done it? Some of you say yes. Okay? I'm going to cut right to it. Some of you are like, yeah, he should have done it. Absolutely he should have done it. We should have been gone. I mean, you are, you're by the book. Listen, we broke the rules. We broke the contract. Get us out of here. You know, I'm just thankful that's not the way God responded. Some of you would say, oh, no, uh, we shouldn't. God should not have done that. That is not loving. And then that would bring us to the place of saying, you know what? Is God sovereign or not? Does God get to do what he wants or not? See, this is a key problem for us today as we have so intermingled the cultural need for individuality and, and, and individual expression that we come to God and say, God, you're wrong. I don't want to say that to God. I'm not saying I've never said it, all right? But it's to my knowledge, I've never said it and then not repented from it. Is God sovereign or not? Does God get to do what he wants or not? Yes, God gets to do what he wants. Like, who's going to slap his hand, Right? But what did God want to do? He wanted to give favor to Noah. That's what God wanted to do. As brokenness increased, Noah found favor in God's eyes. Their hope for Noah, Lamech, his father's hope for Noah was that he was going to give them a retrieve from the curse of sin. All the things that they've been struggling with, they attribute to sin, and they hopefully he's going to, they, he, he looks around and sees all the problems. All of the sins that you struggle with, the, the brokenness, addiction, the relationships that, that don't work out, the people that you want to love but don't love you back, the loneliness that you feel, the despair, the hopelessness is all brokenness because we have become something other than what God wanted us to become. It's brokenness and it's rampant. So how do we respond? In Psalm 51, 1 through 2, it says this, Have mercy on me, O God. According to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. What a prayer of saying, God, create in me a clean heart, which is what David is going to say. I'm a mess. My thoughts are on evil always, continually. Cleanse me, change me, heal me, forgive me. Isaiah 29, 16 says, You turn things upside down. Shall the potter be regarded as the clay that the thing made should say of its maker, He did not make me or the thing formed? Say to him who formed it, He has no understanding. In other words, do we go to him and say, God, you're wrong about all of this? No. But instead, he is remaking us. I love the imagery of the potter and the clay. He is remaking us. Romans 5, 6 says, For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For a while, we were still with our thoughts on continual, on evil continually. At the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For a while, we were still weak, and we wanted to do our own thing and be gods of our own world. At the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. 
For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us, and that while we were still sinners, you know that verse, but do not miss that verse. While you were still sinners, he still loved you. That should be a message that is first out of our mouths. God shows his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now we are reconciled shall be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Here's what I want to do. All honesty, I don't have to get to any of the rest of this. Here's what I want to do. We're going to take communion, and band's not is not going to come up right now. And <clears throat> I want this to be a moment that we recognize in the midst of our brokenness, God loved us and found favor. Communion is a time in which we come together. And we recognize what we have, we have because Christ died for us. There was a cost for this sin. There was a cost for this chaos that ensued because we did not exercise restraint in the Garden of Eden. And to this day still do not fully exercise restraint. The law was all about restraint. Do this and this and not that or that. And if you do this, then do that to fix it. And if you don't fix them all, then you're still in trouble. It was all about restraint. And when Jesus came, he said, we got it. You just can't restrain yourself enough. I'm going to give my life for you. I'm going to take the penalty from all that lack of restraint. All those places that you chose yourself over God, I'm going to take that. All those times your mind, your heart were on evil continually, I'm going to, I'm going to take that. Just as Ken mentioned, just as we look out at the snow yesterday, I'm going I'm to wash you whiter than snow, even though deep down in your heart you know you don't deserve it. I know there are some people who feel like they deserve it. I, get, I know. But I think there are very few people who think they deserve it. I think the rest of us, most of us, if not all of us in the room, come to a place of saying, I do What I deserve is not this. Communion is that time in which we come together and we say collectively, we did not deserve for Christ to die for us. And yet, because he loved us in our sin, he still came and died for us. And we don't walk out of here in guilt, carrying that shame with us. We don't walk out of here going, gosh, that's so bad that Jesus had to do that for me. Oh, it's so bad, it's so bad. We walk out celebrating we walk out knowing that that sin is forgiven. We walk out knowing that, that that deep scarlet stain within our souls is washed whiter than snow. I'm going to ask Rick and Ken if they would walk up. They're two, our two new elders. They're going to serve communion today. You guys come on up. We're going to have some low music playing. And I want you to come up and I want you to take communion. And if you're sitting here in brokenness right now, if you're harboring something within you and you just feel like it's crushing you, I want you to give it to 
I want you to give it to God before you walk up here. I want you to say within your mind, God, you have, you have given me favor. I'm going to give you this brokenness. It doesn't mean that you're not going to leave here and still have problems. But this is what communion can be. We can give him our brokenness. And we can be made whole again because of Jesus Christ. All right? So you guys will play some music up there. It's going to take a few minutes to do this. Come up when you're ready. I'm going to pray with you. We're going to close with one, uh, one more song of worship. And as we sing, I would encourage you, sing the words, don't sing the words. Just talk with God in these next few minutes before we leave this place. Come back next week because we're going to dive into the next part of Genesis and we still have much to talk about. Father, I do not understand many of the ways in which you have worked or why you chose to have favor for Noah. Why you had favor for the nation of Israel. Why you had favor for us or for me. Why you allowed your son to die for us. But I thank you that you loved us. I pray that as we walk out of this place, that we'll walk out of this place not theologically correct and empty and devoid of your love. I pray that we would walk out of this place filled with your love. That would inform everything we know about your word and your work. I thank you for your grace and for your mercy. I thank you that in the midst of chaos, you reach down and you pull us out. I thank you that even when our hearts, the thoughts of our hearts are on evil continually, you still loved us. And while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We thank you for your love, your grace, and your mercy. I pray we would be a people that would Share that with others in a way that brings honor to you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.